Well, I want to welcome you to a live recording of Raw Roast, a podcast where we have real conversation about faith and life over a good cup of coffee. Uh, we're here today with MOPS, uh, the MOPS group at the White Bear Campus, uh, Mothers of Preschoolers, and we're going to do something a little bit different from our normal podcast format as we're going to be taking questions from our live audience. So to all of you today, I do invite you to text in your questions to the number you see on your handout, and we'll do our best to address your questions. Uh, my name is Tucker Anderson. I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary Church. I'm one of the hosts of this podcast. And I'm here today with uh, Ben Tyvel, who's our engagement pastor, and Sean Winters, uh, who's our senior pastor. And we have an easy topic uh, that we're going to address today. It's how to raise your kids in a post-Christian world. Uh, not I, easy. Not I, uh, an easy topic. Don't know about you, but this uh, this topic intimidates me. So I, I'm in a stage <laughs> of life where I have a, a five year old and a three year old. Um, so I feel like, uh, as all of you here can attest, I mean, we're in the midst of trying to figure this out. And both of you have kids who are a little bit older. Do you want to just briefly share the kind of the stage of life you're in, just to set some some of the context for our listeners? Sure. Uh, my wife and I have four children. Our youngest is 18. Our oldest is 25. Uh, the two oldest are married. One lives here in the Twin Cities, one in Colorado Springs. And then the uh, 18 and 20-year-old are at Taylor University. One daughter, uh, she's a junior at Taylor. All right. Yeah, I have uh, six kids. My oldest, Allie, is 16, going on 17. And... I just had to throw that in there. Uh, and then I have three boys, uh, Caleb, who's almost 15, Nathaniel, who's 13, Jordy, who's going to be 11 soon. And then I have Evie, who's going to turn nine uh, very soon here. And then uh, Judah, kind of bringing up the caboose, who's two. So we, yeah, we're toddlers and teenagers is kind of the theme in our house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so both of you, I'm going to rely on your wisdom today. So I just want to get this conversation kicked off with a question. How, how can moms and dads raise their kids to know and love Jesus in a post-Christian world? So I'm just assuming that we don't have to argue that we're living in a post-Christian world or at least a culture that's moving in that direction. What is some wisdom that you've learned about how you can raise your kids in a post-Christian world? Well, let me just start off by saying that um, when Becky and I first had kids, we taught a great class like 16 rules for great kids and then our kids got a little older and we had like five suggestions for maybe raising your kids and now we're like man do the best you can <laughs> and um you know so, so sometimes uh you know going through life kind of helps kind of knock off the edges of your parenting but um you know when I, I i do a lot of looking back when i think about that my wife started a mops group at our church and uh it was an evening and uh, class and gathering that was just kind of a lifeblood for her. And some of us dads got together. We called it our flops group. We had all the kids and um, <laughs> we ordered pizza and watched Monday Night Football. But, um, you know, I, I think we are in a post-Christian world and, and we feel that profoundly. Um, you, you try to raise your kids to know and love Jesus Christ and you know, it seems like the culture is working against you. And, and then there's questions that your kids are coming home with that you didn't ever have to come home with. And there's things they're getting in school at earlier and earlier ages that, you know, <laughs> didn't ever come up even between you and your parents. Like, those are things we didn't talk about. And, and so it is a challenge. It is a real challenge. And, um, you know, I, I hope we can share some ideas, but 
John, one of the questions, we just got a question. Can you define post-Christian world for us? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think that we have come to the place where um, it, it's, you know, we're kind of in the Bible belt and it seemed like maybe the coasts were post-Christian and now it's come to the Bible belt. And so, you know, for a long time I said, I, I haven't met a single person who hasn't had some experience with church. Um, you, you get people who come to church who used to go or, you know, when a kid or something. But, but now I, you know, I meet people all the time who have absolutely no contact with church at all. Um, but what I would define as post-Christian is the default isn't towards, you know, what I would call a Judeo-Christian perspective. So around education systems, it's been changing a long time. Um, I was talking with one of uh, the, the, the woman who leads kids in singing guitars here. Um, you know, it, it's like the, the, the school has left, um, the culture has left, and, and people are saying, you know, what, what happened? And, and all of a sudden, we're coming from a completely different worldview. Ben, what, uh, what are some resources that you've found helpful? This is another question we just got, uh, specifically geared towards elementary age, so any books or devotionals, et cetera, that you've used in your house uh, or maybe wish you used. Yeah. Uh, what are some resources you would recommend? Great question. Well, right, I mean, off of the top of my head, uh, the thing, the thing that comes to mind, honestly, is getting any good, uh, getting any good kids' Bible and uh, just spending time with your kids. I, I think the thing that I would relate to Sean with, you know, the longer that I'm a parent, the older that my kids get, the more complicated life becomes in a lot of different ways, uh, and just the more full it becomes. I, I think the the things that I hold as the greatest values, and uh, you know, as far as being a dad or, or partnering with my wife to be good, godly examples for our kids. It, it's, it comes down to the, the simplicity for us uh, of spending time with our kids, like purposed, intentional time. And so, when it, so as far as resources go, I think there are thousands of amazing resources, truly. And I, so I'm sort of dodging that question because I don't have like a specific one that's coming to mind. Outside of uh, just sitting with your child, and again, dep- depending on the stage, and I, did, did they ask about preschool or elementary age? Uh, just toddler and elementary. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. So I, I certainly think there's a there's things to keep in mind, you know, developmentally as far as how you're going to structure your time with your kids. But I, I do think just time is so important and working to get to know your kids, um, helping them see that, you know, when it comes to following Jesus, it's so much more than just about what we know. You know, I mean, that's really important to, for us to, uh, know what we believe and why we believe it. But I think the time that we take to, uh, to show our kids that we are interested in them and that we really want to know and understand them. And again, I'm, I'm saying this well, while knowing that with my six kids, I mean, there's only so much time in, in life, right? We only have so much time and energy. So you really have to be, uh, you know, you have to be very uh, intentional about this and, and just walk in grace with, with something like this. But 
What I try to do with my kids is either collectively, when I, if, I, if and when I can get them all together or individually, just catching even those five or 10 minutes that I would have. And even if we're not opening up the scriptures, I'm asking them how they're doing and I'm encouraging them to think about uh, what does it look like to walk with Jesus and to listen to God's voice, to grow in that understanding of what does it mean uh, to, like I said, be a Jesus follower, but hear God's voice on a day-to-day basis um, as they are facing all of what they're facing, you know, in, in school and in their life. So that's kind of my... I, I think Goodnight Moon is awesome. Yeah. Don't you? Yeah. No, I, I think... Um, Boxcart children is good. Yeah, anyway. But I think the pattern um, for toddlers is to read to them. And, and it is simple as that is, and it's like, you're like, man, I do it all the time. I read the same book 14 times, 250 times. Um, but keep reading to your kids and then give them that love for reading and find books that are age appropriate. Um, make sure you kind of know what your kids are reading because th- there there's... There's more and more agendas coming into kids' books, but but some of those books are really, really helpful. So read with your kids, read their, anyway, just, and, and then go with their passions, right? Like our kids for a while loved animal books and they got the most bizarre old encyclopedia kind of animal books. And and then, then you had an opportunity to say, the, God's creation is amazing. You know, you just kind of keep sprinkling in this, that, that the worldview we're coming from is that this is God's creation and this is God's truth and good night moon is a little bit strange, but I love you. And I really appreciate that. So we have an hour devotional every night and our girls are sitting there and paying attention the entire <laughs> time. And <laughs> reading through Not entire true. books of the Bible. No. I, um, in Greek. Yeah, in, in the original languages. Yeah. I, I, I just read yesterday that confirms something that I've been thinking that just doing something is better than doing nothing. And even if it feels sloppy and messy and they're running around, getting into that rhythm of saying, we're going to have a devotional time at night, even if it, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, look like the way that we would necessarily like, I think modeling is huge. And one of the things that you said, Sean, in a sermon probably a couple of years ago is that the first five minutes um, hmm. that... Um, you know, if someone you works, work, they get yeah. you home from work, or maybe the first five minutes in the morning. It could be some of the most important times because you're setting the tone for, you know, what we're gonna we're gonna be spending time as a family. So I think modeling is huge, even if it doesn't look uh, the way that you'd like. And that's for the dads that are listening that you like you've passed it on. So when you meet them at the door, if they're working and coming up, and you drop off the kids and you go for your walk, um, their first five minutes is really important. <laughs> How can we, uh, here's another question, how can we as a Christian, as Christian parents prepare ourselves and our children to handle being a, uh, being in a world where almost everything is okay and relative? So things like LGBT uh, conversations, uh, transgender, uh, same-sex uh, parenting families, gender issues, et cetera, in school. Um, so with that yeah, question. Yeah, let's, let's just cover that one. <laughs> I think we could lump all of this together into just this general worldview mindset that is opposed to a biblical worldview. How no. do you counsel kid? How do you counsel parents to raise their kids in that type of a world? Um, you know, I would 
I would go back to something that Ben was talking about. And, um, you know, the study after study says that dinner time with your family is really, really important and it makes a huge impact. Um, and finding um, a, a chance every night to sit down with all the kids, mom and dad, uh, around a table, it, it's just the, it's the most strange thing to me that that actually has significant impact on your life. But, but my daughter, who's a junior, came home and at Christmas she said, you know, one of the coolest things is that we had family dinner together. And, and uh, she said, I just found that's not true of a lot of my, my friends. Um, so why? And the why is because, I mean, we turn the TV off and we look at each other and sometimes it's, it's nutty and, and one, you just have to like run herd. But um, if you find places and spaces to have regular conversations where things come up, and, and it's not like, okay, we're gonna all sit down in the living room, we're gonna have a family talk about LGBTQ plus, and I'll explain the plus. But it's, it's to say, hey, let's just sit down at dinner time. Um, let's get a pattern of prayer. Let's get a pattern where we go to the word of God and, and we talk about what we're learning there. So that they aren't surprised that your view of marriage is a man and woman before Christ. Um, and that, that they've come across passages that they're like, what is that all about? Um, and, and so then you talk about it. You, you talk about the fact that the Bible is full of people of multiple races and that every ethnos, every people group is valuable to God. The Imago Dei of Genesis, it, it makes sense. God came up with it. Um, and so that those, those normal conversations are already happening, that you're grounding your life and some of the challenges that you have in the word of God and that you're willing to not just say, hey, here's, but we're gonna have a conversation. Yeah, and I, th I think to be, to be able to create that space, you know, to be able to create that rhythm with your family, there, I think for us, it has meant that we've needed to have that show up in, in our lives kind of separately, you know, or, or apart from that dinner conversation or apart from those, those moments where we can catch the conversations with the kids. If I need to be in a community. So I think, you know, something as simple, well, simple but difficult as staying connected to a community of other believers where you can be, uh, you know, as you are having similar kinds of challenges and, and needing to have similar kinds of conversations, uh, you know, with, with your kids, that you're connected to the body of Christ where these honest conversations are, ha are being had to where I can, you know, I mean, it's, it's difficult to stay up on, on everything that's happening, right? Uh, so the best that we know how to make sure that our overall life rhythm not only reflects things like dinner time and kind of this, I, I would call it, or the way that we've uh, walked through this in our house is kind of a James 5, confess your sin to one another and be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so we don't, I don't go around quoting that verse, but it's kind of a theme of our home that we, we try to live to confessed lives. We want an open, uh, we want an environment where our kids feel like they can come to us and talk to us about what's going on, the things that they're facing. And I, you know, I'm, I know that they're not sharing everything. You know, I, I, this is, we're, we're doing our best. But again, if we're trying to set a tone or a rhythm in the home, it is, we want you to be able to trust us that we, when you come to us, we're going to wrestle through this together. We're going to walk through this with you. And 
part of the way we're going to do that is with humility. I, I'm going to be honest with, you know, my 16 year old who comes to me with certain questions uh, when I don't know, I'm going to say, I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. Can we go to God together around, around this? Can we find some resources that would help, uh, help equip us to better understand what the Bible says about this, what it means to be a Jesus follower and a lover of all people. And so, I, yeah, so I think staying in, close-knit community, staying committed to growing, you know, our, ourselves in, in humility. And I think, I think that humility piece is really key, especially for kids as, as they're growing and having all different kinds of influences and being told all different kinds of things. I, I don't want to just, um, you know, push those away as, well, though, that, that's, not the, that's not real or that's not the truth. Like, he, here's the truth, you know, kind of in this dogmatic way. But Obviously, I want to help shape them and guide them. So certainly, again, as kids grow up and uh, start having some of these other kinds of conversations and thoughts and development, then hopefully we're in an environment where we can have those conversations openly and we can be honest with each other. We need to have shorter answers, don't we? No, I think you're doing okay. Okay, okay. Uh, So our oldest came home a couple weeks ago and said one of one of her friends said it's okay for someone to have two moms. And so I wasn't ready to, I mean, I wasn't thinking that I was going to be having a conversation around that topic that day. How old is she? How old is Myra? Five. So she's in kindergarten. What, um, so this question is, what do you think is a good age to start talking to your kids about hard issues like gender, sexual orientation, Etc. Et Probably at least kindergarten, if the question is being asked, what age would you start, and maybe how do you do so in an age, in an age appropriate way? Yeah, I I think you know one of the great challenges is to to answer the questions when they come, um, but also to not fill that question with all of the understanding that you have. So she's asking the question as a five-year-old, mm-hmm. um, is it okay for someone to have two moms? Um, she's not thinking gender issues or God's perspective on marriage. Um, she's thinking that's kind of a strange question because I have a mom and a dad. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I think you, you engage your kids in the questions they ask, but, but don't, over, don't over answer it. Does that that's make good. sense? There's a resource uh, that we've tried to go to over the years, uh, written by uh, Mark and Debbie Laser, and uh, they're just hi- highly recommend anything and everything that they that they do and have uh, written. But one of the things they've written is a book called "Talking to Your Kids About Sex: How to Have a Lifetime of Age-Appropriate Conversations with Your Children About Healthy Sexuality." So this kind of st- hits that question, but um, they, they just go through and give a really tangible, practical, hey, from ages three to five, like here are the types of things that you want to kind of start talking about with your kids, age appropriate, developmentally appropriate. And then it just continues on, you know, all the way into young adult and adulthood. And so if you're looking for a real practical kind of guide to help you with that, and I know there's other great resources out there as well, but that one... I know for my wife and I have been, that one has been helpful for us along the, that. Uh, the question, how did I answer, how did I respond to that yeah. question? Okay, they, Tucker. They want to know. Um, 
So I said something along the lines of, you know, this, this is, you might be hearing some of these things from your friends at school, um, but here's what God tells us in the Bible. And at an and at trying to, at a level that she can understand, just walk through some key passages on, here's what God says in his word, and, and not just, here's what he says, here's why it's better than what you're gonna hear in the culture around you. And sometimes I think that we approach these conversations with a, um, so reactionary that we forget that actually the way that God has designed things is better than what you're gonna hear in the culture around you. And so I think if we can phrase it like that, if we can speak about these tough topics like that to our kids, um, I, think that, uh, I think that goes a long way for them as well. And I can't remember where I heard someone mention that um, the first place that a child hears something, they tend to view that as authoritative. So if that's true, and I think there's probably good reason to believe that it is, um, I don't think it's. I don't think it's too early to have conversations about just basic Christian teaching, but of course at an age level that's appropriate. And, and I would argue that um, that your voice and and yours and Aaliyah's voices were the authority. And so then yeah. she heard something that contended against that, and so she came back and said, "Wait a second. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think kids kind of assume that all the world thinks the same way." Um, and and the, you have set a pattern, and, and every kid kind of comes from the same home. And then they go out there and they go, wait a second, there's people who think differently. So you know, it, it's going back and saying, here's why we talked about it th- this way, and this is why we think what we think. Mm-hmm. But but another really challenging skill, and you got to help your kids. Like you don't have to go back and fix the kid who said that. And that's you know how to have that conversation with your kids. So you don't need to go back and tell everybody they're absolutely wrong. People are going to think differently about this because people have a different view of the Bible. And I, I, think, I think kids can grasp that. And, and this is why the Bible is authoritative in our lives. This is why we trust in God and his design. Um, and not everyone's gonna think that. And then uh, process that with them. So speaking of the Bible, yeah. what are some passages that we can go to that you feel like give us good counsel on raising our kids in a post-Christian world? Yeah, lots of them. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, um, let me go with Ephesians six. So Ephesians six one through four talks about um, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right, so you can live long in the land. And then fathers, and it 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 could be moms and dads. Don't exasperate your kids, but raise them up in the in the love and admonition of the Lord. So it's it's this training. Don't frustrate your kids. Love on them. Care for them. Guide them. It's a teaching. Um, but I, but I want to talk a little bit about this idea of of living in the land. So, you know, Ephesians six one says that your children obey your parents so you can live a long life and you can stay in the land. And one of the things I've realized, kind of somewhere in high school, as I studied that, or my kids were in high school, as I'm studying this, is is that it's a real privilege to stay in a place of influence in your kids' lives. Right now, you can pick them up and put them in the corner. I can't pick my kids up and put them in the corner anymore. Um, and I'm only in their lives by invitation, right? And, and so how do, I, how do I continue to build relational bridges? Um, how do I love and guide them well? Because my aspiration was to stay in the land. My aspiration was to stay in a place of influence where they, they might call me for wisdom. Um, 
by the time your kids graduate high school, they know what you think. They're just not so sure that they like being with you. I mean, maybe you can reflect on that as a high school senior. Um, you know what mom and dad thought. You didn't need one more speech. Um, and my hope, my, my aspirate, Becky's more intentional than I am, um, was that they would still want to come home. That's good. I, I, there's so many proverbs that speak to, you know, the importance of uh, raising raising kids up in the word. Um, and I, I think uh, stressing the importance of of knowing God and His Word and how that ultimately shapes uh, the direction of someone's life. Right? It's it's a big part of what shapes someone's uh, our, our beliefs and how we see the world and understand things. Uh, proverbs four. 20 to 23 is is a place that really shapes, I think, just how I do life and then certainly how I parent as well, which it's, it speaks to the heart. Uh, the end, verse 23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Um, and before that, it's this encouragement to, you know, my son, pay attention, my son and daughter, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Don't let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. So it's this, again, I, I think setting up this example and these rhythms of, hey, this is, this is just how we do life in relationship with a living God. This is so much more than just, here's your list of your do's and here's your list of don'ts. And so I think the, the thing that I'm most trying to instill, or, or I would say live out and from, and then hopefully instill in my kids is the um, the reality of of living in relationship with a a living God who speaks to us and who loves us and is is present all the time and that there's so I think there's lots of different ways you know that 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 can happen um, but another one that is coming to mind is is even just that happens I think even just through prayer and how I, how you model prayer and again, prayer is, is essential. And, and when we're coming at it from this, this place of recognizing that prayer is this, um, this outpouring or this reaction to uh, wanting to be connected to and in relationship with Jesus. I, I want to hear his voice. I want to know what he's saying. I want to hear the shepherd's voice when, when he's calling and talking to me about. So, yeah, again, for, for my kids, in the way that I'm trying to model that, or it's asking them, like even before we pray, it's asking, asking them, well, what, what do you feel like God is saying to you? Do you feel like God is saying anything to you? And you could start that young. I think there's ways to, to ask them. You might be surprised at what they say. They might stare blankly at you at times, but other times they're going to say something really profound and you're going to be like, whoa, God is certainly speaking to them. So the more that we can do that, and, I, and certainly model that in our own lives, but then guide them in, the, in those spaces, in those times, I think, I think that will be helpful. Uh, for sake of time, I, I want to move to our last question, one that's uh, a question that's very um, personal for me right now, and that's on how do we decide, how do we make the decision about school? Um, there's a lot of challenging issues that... Um, we've been talking about that I think that kids are being confronted with in school right now. And how do you make the decision 
wisely as a parent about choosing public versus private school? Yeah, we, we saw this on the initial questions and we're like, oh, we're not going to tackle this one, not in this group. Um, but um, so we have four kids and they went, we had them in Christian school all the way through. Um, you know, Ben's kids are in public school and Tucker's are yet to be decided. So we thought, hey, this is a good panel. Um, so, so if I could say, hey, as I have talked to people and asked people about this question, let me just set aside two fallacies. One is that public school will ruin your kids. And the other is that Christian school will protect them and they won't be ready for the real world. So that's kind of the argument I hear from the opposite sides. Um, again, raising your kids um, is about prayer. It's about communication. It's about being intentional. Um, it's about caring for your soul. It is about watching and protecting and prioritizing your relationship with your spouse. Um, if, if you're single parenting, boy, get other people in your life. Um, but, but, you know, Christian school or public school, there's going to be challenges. And it's a different set of challenges. Um, private school is a huge investment of money. My high school, my oldest son said, after he took a finance class as a freshman in high school, he's like, Dad, why didn't you save more money for college? I said, because I spent it on grade school. Um, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's just a reality. So it, it's expensive, but, you know, there's costs and challenges in in whatever you choose. I love that you mentioned uh, things like, uh, you know, whichever decision you end up making, again, what, what happens in within those four walls of, of the home is is going to be the most important thing for, for these kids and their development. So, yeah, if, if you are married, it's, and as I'm saying this, if my wife listens to this, she's going to have a talk with me. But um, no, it's love, love and value and prioritize your spouse. I mean, I, I, if there was, and I, I hear this from mentors, I hear this all the time from people who are a season or several seasons ahead of where I am uh, from men. They say the greatest gift you can give your kids is to love your, love your wife well. And so that's, Again, something that uh, I'm trying to prioritize. But, in, but I would also home. say give, give her space because kids are really, really important to her. And that's really hard for guys. And then I talked to a guy who said, hey, once, once the kids are gone, then grandkids become the most important. So guys, you're still second rate. So kind of get you used say, to it, guys. When you say give, <laughs> give her space, what do you mean? Like, like so, so if... <laughs> So if Car no Karen has a huge heart for her kids, right? Yeah. And and Ben's gonna feel that sometimes as competitive. So I felt that as competitive. Oh. Um, and so I needed to give Becky space to do what God has called her to do, and that was awesome. But but selfish pouty me said, What about me? And so so I would say, um, women like like guys always come in and say, Hey, I love your husbands because we're like, oh, we're dying out here. But but the reality is, guys, you need to give space because that's God's call on her life, and that's a huge thing. And if she's working outside the home and trying to parent kids, man, that's... So I have a really good audience here for that message. Um, but but yeah. does it, that makes sense? Yeah. And, and yeah. so when the, the guy told me, yeah, once the kids are gone, now you're empty nest, Sean. As soon as the grandkids come, you're still second. So, yeah. Yeah. So it, continue, guys, to love your wives well. Um, continue to, to date your wife. Continue yeah. to pour into her and, and support her in what God has called her to do. And 
you're going to be okay. Yeah, and the, and the giving of space could also mean like give her a, give her a break. Give her a break. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of the first thing that my mind went to is when I when I thought of giving her space was you know give her a couple of nights off you know as if I'm not doing anything otherwise. But I mean like very purposefully say hey you you go go and do your thing whatever yeah. you feel like you need to do. Uh, but yeah, so we, what, we've moved on from the Christian school thing. Yeah, we're we? back yeah, to, nicely, I, I was going to try to come back way. to the whole public school thing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I guess our kids are in public school, and it there is a very unique set of challenges that we face. But I think all of what we've kind of talked about, the sort of the tone that we've tried to set in the home, we're we're certainly not perfect at this. We've got a long way to go within this, but. I, th- I think create, trying to create that home where we can have open conversation and honesty and I kind of model confession and forgiveness and hopefully those are going to be the types of things that we need to, um, to allow our kids, even in, even in a space like public school, that they'll be able to wrestle through and still come out, you know, on the other end of, uh, of being a follower, you know, um, passionate followers of Jesus. And at the end of the day, my wife reminded me of this just the other day. And I think this is really important and why the prayer piece is so important. And Sean, like you said, staying connected and, and um, you know, growing in our own relationship with Jesus, that we, we need to recognize that our kids are gods. I mean, we, we obviously have a, an extremely important role in helping to shape them. But at the end of the day, our kids belong to, to God. They're a gift. And so continually kind of, in a sense, placing them on the altar. Like, God, these are your kids. Help me, help me as best I can to raise them in a way that they will end up loving and following hard after you. So, Let me just add one thing, and that is, um, you know, what comes down to Christian school or public school, um, I, I encourage you to think through it and make a choice and kind of know the reasons why. Um, but one of the, I think, temptations and great weights of being a mom in today's culture is that you feel like you failed and you feel like you're doing it wrong. And so every time you hear some new idea of how to do parenting, then you're like, oh, I'm not doing it well enough. Or man, if I could send them to Christian school, you know, or I didn't send them to public school. Anyway, like, like just settle into a plan and, and try as best you can to battle against comparison. Like just embrace it and say, I'm going to walk with my kids. I'm going to love all my kids. I'm doing the best I can before God. And I'm going to have bad days, right? We're going to struggle and we're going to make mistakes. You're going to make huge mistakes. <laughs> um, and, and let me just tell you, like, you know, our, our kids have graduated and... Um, Sorry. <laughs> you know, we, we had a great conversation at Christmas time. And, and I, I don't know, I cry too easy. But, you know, I just, I grieve the mistakes I made. And, and yet, you know, as I talk to my kids, they're like, yeah, yeah, you blew it. Um, <laughs> you did, Dad. That was, whew. Um, but God is bigger than that, right? And God fills in the gaps. And, and confession really makes a difference. To, to go back to your kids and say, I'm, I'm sorry, there's no excuse. Um, I know why I blew up at you. I know why I lost my temper. I know why I threw that. 
I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? Um, God is bigger than that. So God's bigger than your school choice selection. God's bigger than your worst days and even your best days. And, and he's got it. It's a good word. I think it's a good word to end on, too. We have a few more questions that I wish that we could get to and but address. We, yeah, but, we won't run away. Uh, maybe, maybe we can talk, stay and talk a little bit. Yeah. Um, I want to thank all of you. This has been a real uh, privilege to be with all of you this morning. And I think I would just encourage you that regardless of the, the public-private school question, that we are to be our, our primary the primary disciplers in our in our kids' lives, um, whatever decision we choose. But I encourage you in that that Christ is sufficient for that process. He's sufficient for what that looks like, and even uses our hmm. our failures as parents, our mistakes. Um, he redeems those uh, in the discipleship process. Um, thank you to the both of you. This has been, uh, I've learned a lot as I'm in a, a few years behind uh, both of you uh, in, this, uh, in this life stage. And I appreciate all of your questions. I wish that we were able to get to all of them. Um, but um, again, thanks for uh, letting us be here today. I want to thank you for listening. If you would like more information about Calvary Church, you can visit calvarychurch.us. Uh, you can check us out online or in person on Sunday mornings. Uh, we would encourage you to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you listen. It also helps if you leave us a review. Uh, we look forward to having you join us again next week. <laughs>